The presidential motorcade had just passed through heavy crowds in downtown Dallas and was circling through the fringes of the business district when three shots suddenly rang out. Destroying the media lies and dismantling the narratives. One story at a time. It's the Adrian Slate Show. Well, 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 guess who resurfaces from obscurity? That would be Dr. Burks. Remember her? <laughs> this is Adrian Slate. Thanks for tuning in to the Adrian Slate Show podcast. Um, yeah, she has shown up and been making the rounds, doing the interview circuit. She's got a new book, so she's got to pedal that. But we learned some interesting things that we've already known, but it kind of puts it in full perspective. Um, Dr. Burks was a part of the coronavirus task force. Who could remember her talking with her annoying voice? Well, uh, you should put on a, a, a mask and wear a face shield, too. And if you wear the face shield, you can make it nice and, and pretty by, you know, decorating it, bedazzle it. She was a moron that was trying to get you to bedazzle your face shield that you could wear over top of her mask. And then she ended up flying down and seeing her. I guess she visited, went on a vacation. I can't remember. She did something that flew in the face of the protocol she was demanding everybody else to adhere to. While you destroyed your uh, business, uh, you destroyed your children's well-being and mental stability and their education and their development because they were sent home from school while you were being told to stay inside. You know, two weeks to flatten the curve. She was doing whatever the heck she wanted while wielding these recommendations that we were all supposed to adhere to on all of us. Well, the part of her book really was uh, insightful because this really shows you that there was an insidious side to what Fauci and Burks were doing. We've already known that. We've talked about it. But listen to this from The Hill. Dr. Burks, Fauci and other colleagues on Trump team had a resignation pact. Deborah Burks, who served as coronavirus response coordinator for former President Trump, said in a new interview that she and other members of his COVID-19 response team had a resignation pact if one person was removed from the group. Quote, I actually wasn't worried about myself being fired because I was dual-hatted. Which I remember that, by the way, off, off the article for a second. Yeah, she, that's why she was comfortable doing these dumb things that she was doing, because she was solidified. She didn't have to worry about anything. Um, and I would go back there to the State Department and my PEPFAR job full-time, Dr. Burks told ABC News, noting her role as the coordinator of President's Emergency Plan for AIDS Relief and the government's program to combat, uh, combat HIV and AIDS. Quote, I was very worried about Bob and Steve because you can hear the hallways, you can hear in the hallways how people were talking about them, she added, referring to former Centers for Disease Control and Prevention Director Robert Redfield. Remember that guy? Robert Redfield was the guy who uh, was telling us that the mask was more effective than the vaccine, which maybe he was half right because at least you wouldn't get myocarditis or blood clots from the mask. But you would still get the virus, which you would still get if you were vaccinated. So maybe he was half right. But he was also uh, very vocal after he left on the skepticism of the vaccine. So somebody was holding a gun to his head while he was working. Um, and the other individual was former Food and Drug Administration Commissioner Stephen Hahn. 
Burks went on to say, and so I went to the vice president multiple times to call Bob and Steve because I was worried about them, feeling like they were at risk. And I was very clear to the chief of staff that if anything happened to Bob or Steve, we would all leave. When asked whether any removals were imminent, Dr. Burke said there was many times where Han particularly was under a lot of pressure over vaccine development, and she made sure to remind them that she had his back no matter what. All of this, we, all of us knew what it was like to be there and in the trenches, she added. Although they got to go home after the task force and go back to their agencies, I was still in the White House. But they had enough understanding about what was happening in the White House to understand that all of us were at risk one time or another. Dr. Burks also addressed the moment she attempted to correct the former president when he raised the possibility of injecting disinfectant into people to treat the virus, saying that she had become paralyzed. He did not say he was going to inject them. He said, isn't there a procedure which we covered, the, the procedure exists, it's an ultraviolet light that they can put inside of you and it would attack the vi viral uh, cells. Um, that's not fake news, but they want to treat it and spin it like he was talking about drinking bleach or something. Um, Dr. Burke said, I just wanted it to be the twilight zone and all go away, she said. I could just see everything unraveling that moment. Burks has a new book, Silent Invasion, the untold story of the Trump administration, COVID-19, and preventing the next pandemic before it's too late. Um, yeah, Dr. Burks. Well, you've got that book, and it's nothing political to peddle your book. It's nothing political to have a team that, I mean, think of this. This is in the middle of a pandemic, and the response, the advisors, they were going to get to a point where you fire Fauci? We're all going to quit. Think about what that would have looked like to the public with President Trump, where his entire team would have quit all at the same time in the middle of the pandemic, further, you know, putting, putting a further black eye on him, even though he had Scott Atlas. And by the way, if you want to find out what really went down in the White House, how horrible Mike Pence is, how much of a freaking limp, flaccid, you know what Mike Pence is how insanely stupid Dr. Burks is and how ridiculously dysfunctional the entire White House was, go read Scott Atlas's book. Much more insightful than Dr. Burks. But yeah, Dr. Burks had a whole team. I mean, if you're talking about public health, you're not going to have the whole team threaten to walk out in the middle of conducting this insidious friggin' operation of shutting the government down and peddling these experimental elixirs that can cause all types of heart damage and blood clots and things like that. I mean, it's ridiculous. But she has an even more amazing view. Listen to this from Axios. Dr. Burks, I wish that when we went into lockdown, we looked like Italy. <laughs> and it's amazing how they kind of try to quantify and uh, laud what Italy did in this article because they try to play with the numbers a bit. Deborah Burks, the White House course, uh, coronavirus response coordinator, told reporters she would have liked to have seen the U.S. introduce stricter restrictions like Italy did to prevent the spread of COVID-19. Quote, I wish that when we went into lockdowns, we looked like Italy. When Italy locked down, I mean, people weren't allowed out of their houses. 
They couldn't come out but once every two weeks to buy groceries for one hour, and then they have to uh, have a certificate that said that they were allowed. Imagine that in America. That's Shanghai. That's what's happening in China right now when there is no coronavirus threat. There's not supposed to be. It's endemic at this point. But for some reason, Shanghai is completely, completely on lockdown to the point where People are running out of food. They're diving to their deaths out of skyscrapers because where they live in these tall buildings, they can't go outside because the cops will attack them and rough them up. And that's what she wants. Something like Italy, something like China, where you can't go out but once every two weeks for an hour. You know, that's not going to cause a bottleneck. That one hour, the virus just takes a break. You know what I mean? It just takes a little siesta. Um, But... So they try to quantify this. Um, of course, she goes on to say that the certificates and things like that, Americans don't react well to that kind of prohibition. Damn right. We're not going with that. Um, by the numbers, this is Axios, more than 170,000 people have died from the novel coronavirus in the U.S. and over 5 to 4 million have tested positive. In Italy, more than 35 to 400 people have died from the virus and over 254,200 people have tested positive. First off, there was way more deaths in Italy than that. I don't know where they're getting that number from. Not to mention, they have a different population size than the entire 50 United States, okay? In May, the, con- the country began to ease domestic travel restrictions and, sh- and shops, restaurants, hairdressers, Resume business with uh, social distancing measures in place. It has since seen the resurgence of the virus after reopening its borders to other countries. That's such garbage. And those lockdowns. How are those lockdowns doing, by the way? Dr. Burks wants us to look like Italy. The states that do want to be like Mussolini and be fascist Italy-styled uh, lockdown uh, advocates, well... Economically free states, and this is from Real Clear Policy, economically free states are recovering rapidly. High control states, not so much. Unbelievable. So the Mussolini fascist states that are like Italy, they're not coming back. You know, California has been knifing itself left and right. They're talking about raising more taxes and and doing more stricter regulations. New York is bleeding out. From the article, the fact that our nation's unemployment rate is approaching the low of 3.5% that was reached just prior to the pandemic should be a cause for celebration. But for a variety of reasons, the official unemployment number is misleading. The employment situation is not as um, rosy as it seems. There is a wide disparity among the states that can be, that can be explained by how much economic freedom they allow, including how severely each state shut down its economy due to the uh, pandemic. To the panic. That that should have been what it was because it was all fear porn. Consider that the U.S. remains 1.6 million jobs short of our February 2020 high, just before the pandemic came to our shores. Since then, our population has grown by 3.8 million people, but the labor force shrank by 174,000 workers. The picture diverges for states as demonstrated in our 2021 study. The states with the worst job recovery also imposed the harshest COVID-19 measures. For example, two states with the severest lockdowns, California and New York, are also experiencing two of the worst job recoveries with unemployment rates 
at least at full percentage points above the national average of 3.6 based on newly released March 2022 data. Conversely, Utah and Nebraska, who are among the states with the least severe lockdown policies, are tied with the lowest unemployment rate of 2.0%, well below the national average. In measuring how states have rebounded, a better metric than the unemployment rate is the recovery in private employment. Only 16 states have recovered all the private jobs lost due to the shutdowns compared to February 2020, but if we account for each state's pre-pandemic job growth trajectory, Montana and Utah stand above the rest for exceeding our forecast of their private employment. Idaho follows closely behind Montana and Utah, and then Wyoming and North Carolina, Mississippi, South Dakota, Arkansas, Maine, and Georgia to round out the top 10 performing states. Except for Maine and North Carolina, each one has a Republican trifecta. GOP controls both chambers of the legislature and the governor's office. North Carolina leads Republican. Maine is an anomaly having a Democrat trifecta. What about the bottom 10 states and private sector job recoveries? Well, there are Hawaii, New York, North Dakota, California, Maryland, Vermont, Minnesota, Oregon, Massachusetts, and Louisiana. Four of those have Democrat trifectas and four lean Democrat. Louisiana is the last state to make up the bottom 10 and they lean Republican. And it's really dependent on how conservative those leaders are because you get a lot of rhinos. So Dr. Burks can sit there and go on and on about how lockdown should have been more like Mussolini-styled Italy, but really, we're seeing that the recovery is it's coming back with states that aren't completely fascistic because the lockdowns did nothing. The whole point was two weeks to slow the spread because we didn't want to overrun the hospitals. Hospitals were never overran. We built boats and made them into hospitals that no one ever used. A hospital was built in in Central Park. No one ever used that one either. Nothing happened. They were dancing on TikTok, the doctors and nurses dancing all around, wearing their mask. It was all a ruse. And it was all done to destroy the economy and to take down Western nations. It's not simply about Trump, okay? But Trump was targeted. But it was also Bolsonaro down there in Brazil. It was also the leader of Hungary. It was also um, any Western-styled democracy. That's why the British destroyed their economy. That's why Canada tried really locking down everybody to the point where the truckers said, F you, we're going to just barricade the roads. You know, Australia was arresting people for just stepping outside with their dog to take a crap in their backyard. None of that needed to happen. We could have had herd immunity. Yes, there would have been people that would have negatively been affected by it, but we didn't have to destroy your kids' mental capacity and development and education. We didn't have to have tons of people commit suicide. We didn't have to have all these people losing their jobs, their businesses, that they're now in debt because they had to close their business and go out of business and probably file for bankruptcy. All of that stuff happened And didn't need to happen. And we better not let that go. We better not forget that all of that happened and it was done for insidious reasons. Now, on the other side of the break, we're going to get into some of the wins that we're seeing now. Because we went through this two-year darkness of just 
authoritarianism. We get Biden in office. He decides to destroy the energy sector by shutting down all the pipelines. And then we have to get our oil from overseas. Our gas goes through the freaking roof. They push out all this money and spending. Suddenly inflation goes up and now our dollar means, means nothing. They destroyed our national security by pulling us out of Afghanistan, making us look like fools, emboldening Russia to go in and attack Ukraine. Now they want us to step in there and, and put our our men in, in harm's way, and then we're going to escalate a new Cold War by giving Ukraine all these you know weapons and vehicles and what have you. This dark period has started to take a turn. And we talked about Disney last, on the last podcast. I know it's been a little while since the last podcast. Busy season at work. You know, I, this isn't my only job. I do other gigs. Um, but on top of that, we've got other wins that are popping up. You know, the Twitter thing, we can talk about that, but I think that's been covered all over the place. Elon Musk buying Twitter, all of a sudden, even my functionality. I tell everybody the story of the time that the Parkland shooting went down. And I happened to be on social media that evening and I was chatting with Dana Lash, who's, you know, she was part of the NRA at that time. She's a great radio host, used to work with Breitbart, Andrew Breitbart himself. Um, And I listened to her show quite a bit. And she and I were talking about 2A and, and everything that was going on with Parkland and all these trolls started popping up left and right. And we were just beating them down with with facts, Federalist paper quotes, Constitution, everything under the sun. And the very next day, and I mean, it was like a, it was like Smith in the Matrix. They were just coming left and right. Last time that that's happened to me was when I took a shot at Milo Yiannopoulos in the primaries when it was when I was still back in Cruz and Trump was running. But so ever since then, my account was completely different. The engagement died. I stayed at the same level follower count. I'd maybe gain five, ten here. I gained a lot when somebody with a blue check mark might have retweeted or engaged with me, but then those would go back down. So it would just average itself out. I would put quote, uh, I would put up a post and the engagement was only with the people that responded to my post in agreement with me. It wasn't the original post that didn't make any sense. You would think if the original post uh, would be as engaging as the comment to the original post, but regardless of all that, as soon as Elon Musk made that purchase, boom, engagement shot through the roof. I started gaining followers left and right. It was like going back to 2010, 20, uh, 2008, 2012 when we were on Twitter with the Tea Party groups and we were cheering on Scott Walker for beating the, you know, beating the recalls. We were cheering on Ted Cruz for reading Green Eggs and Ham and shutting down the government. And... That was when Twitter was pretty much free. There was no shadow banning. You could engage. I would have trolls. I haven't had trolls, legitimate trolls, that came in an organic way in about four years. <laughs> it's really bizarre. But there now it's, it's going right back to it. And I don't desire the trolls, but you knew something was up. So that win happened with Elon Musk because information can now flow. But there's been a few other wins that we need to talk about, too. What's going on in Oklahoma? We need to talk about that. There's a, a few other wins. The parallel economy is being built to where all of these lending companies that want to impose ESG standards on us, you know, if you violate their greenie score, then you might not get lending. Or you might not get credit 
We're going to get into how the conservatives are moving in a parallel economy as well. Back in a moment. This is Adrian Slade. So although we've been enduring the dark days of progressivism and leftism with, you know, the Joe Biden administration, uh, big tech companies coming down on us. Um, I mean, everything from inflation to unemployment to uh, censorship. It's it's ridiculous. In fact, what's crazy is one of the wins that we've got, which came from Elon Musk, of all people, who is not a conservative, but he does value free speech. And, you know, he's now the uh, first African-American CEO of a social media company. <laughs> he decided he was going to buy Twitter and make Twitter a free platform again has made the left go crazy. Well, now the left is going to try to turn it around, basically turn us into George Orwell's uh, 1984 by trying to get Congress to jump in and block or use their power against Elon Musk buying a social media platform and doing away with all the censorship and the hate speech regulations and all that bullcrap. So that's a win for conservatives, even if I don't agree with Elon Musk and his, his political views about climate change. At least he's working for our end, right? Our end is just freedom. It's not just conservatism across the finish line. It's freedom. It's liberty. And if Elon Musk is going to support that by doing his actions, then we all reap the benefits, right? So we don't have to make him into, you know, we don't have to Kanye West him into some conservative icon because he's not, but he's doing the bidding of what we want to accomplish. So let him go about doing it. So we've had some conservative wins lately. You know, Disney. Disney utilized... So when Disney came to Florida, well, when Florida was, you know, developing, uh, Disney was coming about into, you know, focus and a deal was made so that Disney could have preferential treatment to operate in Florida. Now, I'm not for giving preferential treatment to different companies, but states do that from time to time because of competition. They want to be competitive. They want to bring in business. So they're going to maybe cut some regulations here, maybe look away on some some laws over there, bring Disney in or bring your corporation in that's going to benefit the state by providing jobs, providing all types of tax uh, you know, uh, payments and what have you. So this deal was made with Disney in 1950. And Disney was its own government, basically. Disney was allowed to have its own police. It did its paved its own roads. I mean, it was its own government. Well, when Ron DeSantis was trying to pass a law that said, well, you know, we don't want libs. We don't want these leftists teaching our kids in school about homosexuality and transgenderism at five and putting books on the shelves of library uh, in in five year old library uh, libraries, where there's one book called Lawn Boy. There's another book about a kid, you know, giving oral to another kid. Um, both boys. They these books are in the libraries of these schools, 
and they're trying to teach the kids about transgenderism because you know they they're saying well we want them to be acclimated to transgenderism and homosexuals because we want them to be uh, you know affirmative and we want them to be not hateful well what they're really doing is they're introducing them to these lifestyles before they even know what sexuality even is and so Ron DeSantis decided to step ahead of that and say hey we're not going to have these conversations we don't need these conversations and Disney stepped up and said, no, we're going to fight against that. Well, Ron DeSantis and company looked at what Disney was doing, what their, what their relationship with Florida was, and they found that they had the special carve out. And so they were able to get the congressional uh, le- or the legislative body of Florida to remove it. Rightfully so, because do they need to enjoy that kind of cronyism? Not only the fact that they've been known to have uh, some different individuals within their company, which we talked about in the last podcast, who have done things to minors, molestation, raping, what have you, and their Mickey Mouse police force looked the other way. So we ended up removing that, and that's a win, because Disney, if you go back and listen to the last podcast, was putting their not-so-secret gay agenda in all of their new films. So these are wins. We're beating back the progressive ideology. We're not doing it through Congress. We're not doing it through the presidency. We're doing it through states. We're doing it through uh, pushback on local levels, like Loudoun County did here in Virginia over you know the school board. And what we have to realize is that on top of all of this, there is Ron DeSantis. He is the, he is the golden rule of how to do this. Because what he has done is he didn't just wait for things to get codified and then he has to go through these crazy legislative you know, methods to remove the cancerous tumor that's been implanted into our schools or into our legislature or into our states. He sees the tea leaves. He, he knows the goals and the plan of the left and he attacks it before it gets there. That's how you win as a governor. And so we're seeing this start to manifest itself in other states. You know, we're seeing the winds of Twitter being taken over by Elon Musk to give us freedom. We're seeing how the left is weaponizing. They want to continue to weaponize it by putting Congress to get in the way of of Twitter to make some disinformation uh, organization within the Homeland Security. They're pushing this Orwell 1984 Ministry of Truth thing and they want to put that into our uh legis or into our homeland security because they can't do it from within the corporation and corporations have been attacking people who are conservatives for a while look at libs of tiktok a twitter account that just goes on tiktok finds videos of crazy liberals screenshots it or you know screen records it post it on twitter and lets them speak for themselves. Well, they've been deplatformed multiple times. They've been exposed by Taylor Lorenz from the Washington Post, who's crying about how she's always under the gun and being doxxed and what have you. She goes out and puts her real estate license out on the web, which gives her address, her real estate license number, anything you can use to find who Libs of TikTok is. Why did that person need to be exposed to the public? 
They're just an account retweeting videos of libs crying and doing their crazy shtick on TikTok. Well, Linktree, a website that posts just all the links that you have your, you know, content on, deplatformed libs of TikTok. Linktree. Well, that goes to show you that tech companies, regardless of how big or small, YouTube, Twitter, whatever the case would be, have a vested interest to go against conservatives. And so we're running into this everywhere, but we're beating it back. And that's why the Twitter win is so good for us, even if it was Elon Musk that did it. And so we're looking at Oklahoma now. Oklahoma governor signs ban on non-binary birth certificates. Oklahoma Governor Kevin Stitt signed a bill explicitly prohibiting the use of non-binary gender markers on his state birth certificates, a ban experts say is the first of its kind in the nation. The bill followed a flap last year over the Oklahoma State Department of Health's agreement in a civil case allowing a non-binary option. The birth certificate in that case was issued to an Oklahoma-born Oregon resident who sued after the agency initially refused the request. People who are non-binary do not identify with traditional male or female gender assignments. News of the settlement prompted outrage among Republicans, including Stint, who, among other fellow conservatives in a number of GOP-led states, have been engaged in a culture war over issues like restricting LGBTQ and abortion rights that drive the party's base in an election year. This is the Associated Press writing this drivel. It's amazing. Stitt's appointee to, to lead the agency abruptly resigned the next day, and the governor then promptly issued an executive order prohibiting any changes to a person's gender on birth certificates. Despite the settlement agreement, a civil rights group has challenged the executive order in federal court, but the state has not yet responded. So Oklahoma is stepping up and taking the battle on. You know, let's we see the battle coming down the road, we have to step up and attack it. So let's now get into how we attack it on the capitalism side through the, uh, through the parallel economy that we're building on the right. This from the Washington Times, first credit card by conservatives for conservatives hits the market. See, we're coming back with this parallel economy and that needs to happen What's in your wallet is probably a credit card that supports an array of left-wing causes. Rob Collins wants to change that. Mr. Collins has announced the launch of COIN, spelled C-O-I-G-N, billed as its first credit card created by conservatives for conservatives who would prefer that their purchases work for the causes they believe in instead of against them. Quote, too many corporations are investing their customers' money in political and social priorities that align with their executives, the media, and the left's agenda, said Mr. Collins, who founded COIN. For the first time, the COIN card will allow conservatives to spend right, no matter what they shop for. Um, The red uh, COIN credit card, a visa that offers 1% cash back on every purchase, comes as the latest challenge from the right to woke corporate America, which includes the credit card industry. When we get into ESGs, you know all about what we're talking about. In recent years, mainstream banks 
credit card companies and corporations have pursued far-left agendas and have not invested or supported their conservative customers. Coin said in a statement, instead, they have supported the politics of the left and have given billions to those groups aligned with far-left liberal causes. So they're pushing back. And it's good to see because I think there's also a percentage of the usage of that coin, the processing fee percentage, a portion of that is going to select right-wing nonprofit organizations, uh, advocacy organizations, you know, things that support our conservative values because everything is under attack. I mean, you can't even open up a Marvel comic book without getting nailed with wokeness. You can't even turn on a TV show without getting wokeness. You can't even go into a store without being hit with wokeness. And that's been going on for quite some time. But luckily, conservatives have been figuring it out and have been pushing back. And this is one step in that. So there are some wins. And we have to keep in mind the struggle continues, but the wins can happen even with a Democrat-controlled government from the executive branch to the legislative. I'm Adrian Slade. Thanks for tuning in. Check out the podcast, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Google Play, Spreaker, TuneIn, iHeart. You can also get it on Roku in the streaming store. I'm going to update that very soon. Kind of behind on that. Um, and also, donate. Anchor.fm slash Adrian Slade slash support. Follow me on Twitter, Getter, Truth Social. It's at Rants Out Loud. Also on Parlor at Adrian Slade. And uh, we'll see you guys next time. God bless.